Welcome back to another episode of the NES Experience. We've had a busy two weeks since we've last seen you guys, and, oh yeah, I guess seen slash heard. Well, you guys hear us. We don't see you. Um, But it's been a busy two weeks nonetheless. Uh, I've lost about 10 pounds, been jumping rope every day. It's been fantastic. Uh, I have made some pierogi to celebrate because homemade pierogi is always delicious. Uh, Ned, what have you been up to these last two weeks? Hey, just remember, excessive jump roping increases the risk of patellar tendonitis and pierogies are liquid sugar, which get metabolized the same as sweet tarts and pixie sticks. So although those dopamine levels will go through the roof when you eat them, uh, the cortisol levels that are going to be released to help you store fat are going to be right there. Wait, there, there there's no sugar in, per, in pierogi. Uh, your initial taste buds don't feel that, but your blood sugar levels do. Uh, well, nonetheless, uh, what, a, what a busy two weeks it's been. Uh, I guess I just pissed all up in your Cheerios. Well, it's okay. You you always need a bit of a reality check every now and then. Uh, And when you are an athlete, uh, you're always getting your reality check because you're always being evaluated. And that is what this episode is about this week at the NES Experience. The fact that you're always being evaluated, whether you know it or not. Uh, It is a big, big message that was hammered home to me when I was a kid. And, you know, it is something that I think uh, Ned also agrees is is very important to keep in mind. So do you kind of want to tell us maybe the first time you kind of heard the the phrase or, you know, whatever that you're always being evaluated? Yes. And I mean, part of the reason I'm talking about this, hopefully my athletes will, I don't know, maybe tune in lesson, but um for me, I, w- I didn't really hear it until I was out of college. I was an intern at IMG Academies. And actually, I was an intern. I was an assistant coach because I already did my internship. With that being said, I was evaluated for the job. There were five interns um, when we got there. And there was a rank order, one through five, your best interns. You know, all the coaches are basically watching you go through, go through things and coach athletes. And your internship class is is rank ordered from one to five. So I was the big five. I stunk. Uh, I was out of shape. Um, I pulled my groin. I think I had three injuries on day three because it's basically boot camp. And they took us through every active dynamic warm up exercise in our database. So we did hundreds and hundreds of exercises for like four hours straight in a 90 degree bubble with no fucking water. And my big 300 pound ass was like, man, I'm not, I'm not supposed to be doing this. So I was being evaluated, which is part of the reason why I was the worst intern of the five, uh, was because my inability to learn the running mechanics as fast as they needed me to, to be able to coach them. Um, with that being said, uh, I ended up being the best intern out of the five after outworking everyone or, and people randomly, you know, one kid decided you want to be a bodybuilder. So now I only had to beat four people out. Um, with that being said, I ended up, I was a graduate assistant there. They had three positions. They evaluated people 
to select three individuals to stay there for an extra 12 to 15 months to continue to learn and to develop as a coach. And I was fortunate enough to be one of those three. With that being said, when we were going through the NFL draft prep, they we had to teach the guys all, well, we had sports psychologists also, but trying to explain to them that the whole process is an interview and you're always being evaluated, which means your interactions that are on the field, if you have your hands on your knees, that shows you're tired and you're, you didn't prepare because you're being, and you're going to look negatively, you know, for that. There is a meat market component of the NFL combine where you stand on a, st- a stage and some little skibby scan, uh, spandex, uh, shorts and these guys are taking pictures of you. I mean, now they're just taking snapshots and then sending them and uploading them all. But I have sheets back from 2009, 2010, and they are staring at you because we didn't have all this fancy technology and they are writing down things. For instance, one of my guys, his evaluation was Fred Flintstone feet and bitch tits. Those were two of his... uh the things that they decided to to write down for him. Now, in the first week, I tried to explain to him, like, you got, you have large breasts and they're going to, this is a meat market. They're going to be, you know, you want some lift to them. All right. And he looked like a, he was a dumpster fire when he took his shirt off, but you could only give people the, take him to the water. You can't fucking make him drink it. I don't know what you want to use, but I was like, so of course the agent throws me the report and it's like, ah, Fred Flintstone feet and bitch tats. And I'm like, look, man, the kid won't fucking get off the fried chicken. What do you want me to tell you? He's out of control. I'd have to, he'd have to live in my bed. I'd have to, you can't let this kid out of your sight for a second. With that being said, he didn't get drafted. Maybe it's because he had Fred Flintstone feet and bitch tats. That's why we don't, that's why we were preparing. Don't put ourselves in a situation where we could be called like that. But they just say mean. I have to find this sheet. It's somewhere, but it is horrifying. It is just, if you release this sheet now, I mean, I should sell this sheet to TMZ with the things that they would put on these sheets and, and the mean things that they would say, barrel chest, thick ass, nice ass. Uh, it is, I mean, it's bizarro anyways. Um, so you're always being evaluated. So we had to go over how to make eye contact and handshakes and, you know, show how you, how your body is supposed to be when you're interested in someone or when you're interested in something and closing your body off and how you don't want to do that because you want to be approachable. And, you know, there's an interviewing component. Once again, all you know, evaluations. And then we're going through evaluating right now. So we have, you're still laughing about the, about the, the combine guy thing. Yeah. I'm just picturing some NFL scout, just like looking at him and just being like, huh, like this guy has tits. I got to write this down. Very common. People like people need to know. Yeah. A little disturbing. Anyways. So Normally we do this in the intro for shout outs, but shout out to uh, Q1 Johnson, who got an uh, offer from IU 
which makes his offer total to 19. He's been evaluated for the past four months and has absolutely fucking killed everything. That's why he's got 19 offers. And his younger brother, Q2, I'm, I'm not going into the Q1, Q2 thing. I think that came up on a, on a previous podcast. Q2 just got an offer from Boston College and uh, also got an IU offer. So Q2, his last, he did the camp season perfectly. Um, his last one was Penn State this past Friday. And there were things, because of the evaluation component, things that he needed to do. He had to run under a 4-4-4-40. And he had to basically create separation and dominate in the one-on-ones. And if he did those two things, he would have got his Penn State offer. Uh, he ran a 4-4-0 and a 4-4-2. And that is just as good as that he did his first combine in April. So that's the longest combine season ever. But anytime you can get your kid who went through 10 combines and you can get him a little break and have him finish with a 4-4-0 in front of them as a sophomore, he did great. But that being said, he dropped two balls. The evaluation process was over. So it was he he did not do what he needed to do to get the immediate offer. Now, now it's a waiting game. I think good things are going to happen. Um, but you can even be evaluated and it doesn't work out. So NES has four guys in the NEC, NECBL, which is rated as the second best behind the Cape Summer Baseball League. And one of the guys, so we had one guy, Billy Sullivan, he was an all-star, but there was another guy that should have been an all-star, everyone's favorite new Fairfield pitcher, former Southern Connecticut State University owl. Uh, he, their season just ended tonight, 0.86 earn run average in 21 innings, 18 appearances. So that's real hard. That's like crazy good, but he's a reliever and they shit on relievers, which means part of the his evaluation process is they're looking at the amount of innings that he did and the fact that that is not as glorious of a position, but he's being evaluated and hopefully he gets an end of the year award. Also, Tommy Hughes had like a sub two. Uh, and then we got a late call up Chad Fideli from Southern. He ended up moving up to not to give my shameless NES athlete plugs, but uh, never had four guys in that league before. And especially uh, one, two, and they're all coming from D2 places. So four D2 guys in an NECBL league, um, all either getting awards or should have gotten awards. And one guy that theoretically shouldn't even been in there went in and just pitched. A, those, that's there's some good evaluating going on right now. So um, I want, just want to give recommendations because I get athletes that their attitude isn't right. It's like, uh, you know, fuck the coach or fuck this university or this and that. And it's like they think that everything is just going to come to them and they can do and act however they want. And that these magical recruiters are just going to magically see them and magically want them. And the answer is that you don't get shit in life like that. So they aren't doing what they need to do to make allies and network, which are the things I'm going to talk about to help them kind of get to their end result. So the first thing you got to do is understand you're being evaluated by every coach that you play for. Um, whether you like them or not, 
They are a necessary evil. If you decide that you don't like the coach, you still got to understand that if you're going to the right school and you reclass, this is my go reclass and go to Hamden Hall plug. If you do these things, you have coaches that have the knowledge and have the network and the contacts to be able to get you to the next level. If they don't have that ability to do that, then you probably shouldn't go there. But um, they're trying to help you. But going through that process, if you're a big pain in the ass, they're going to be it's going to be they're going to be less motivated to want to do the things, you know, do the things to help you to get, you know, to that point. Um, your relationship with them plays a role ultimately where you're going to end up going. Now, if you're a baller and you're there's just that elite five star guy that's going to get to go, out, it's different. But most people aren't in that situation where they have that much leverage to can be to be a complete douchebag and get away with it. Most of the people that I help are kind of, you know, on that lower end. So um, when you, as far as networking, you want to understand that this is a relationship. You have to water, I say, water your seeds or water your offers. So don't put yourself into a box, the D1 box, and not water the D3 people. You can... Everybody knows everybody and you can piss other people off. So you don't want to make it look like you're too good for them. They're evaluating you and your pro your ability to communicate with them to show interest. They don't want somebody who thinks, you know, they're too good for our school. They don't want that. So whether you're into, into a school or you're not into school, you tell them that you're into a school because that they are part of your interest is part of their evaluation of you. And athletes get too much into I'm only talking to the big people and they're ignoring. I have a kid right now who didn't even tell me he had a, a D3 offer. This kid went has no film. He purely got the offer based off of his excellent 40. That's the NES plug and his performances at these combines. Uh, nobody listens to this shit, but he's a kicker and he's getting recruited to be a DB and a skill player. And he has an offer. That's awesome. You haven't even, you've never ran a route or covered a dude in the real game and you got an offer. Hasn't talked to him. Didn't tell anybody. Didn't, and is kicking rocks because he wants the Cornell offer. Like, that's not a good outlook. I have to have a conversation with him. But he should be up that D3 school's ass. This is, I've never wanted to play anywhere like this. I, I, you know, I definitely see myself as somebody who would like to go in there and be able to step in and make an impact. I mean, you just, you just sell it um, and be into them. That's going to help. So you're in a relationship. Relationships take work. Go to their games when they invite you. Phone calls, emails. Don't bug the shit out of them. Um, but make them feel special. It's this thing. You're in a relationship. They're going to make you feel special. You make them feel special. You get offers from them, then get offers from other people, then ultimately pick what you want to do. But um, you have to, and I, the other end of it, I saw a kid with a Michigan offer as a freshman, and he never spoke to Michigan for two and a half years he thought that he was going to get 19 more offers after getting his freshman year Michigan offer. He ended up not getting any. Now he's sitting there in the summer of his junior year. He calls up Michigan and they're like, yeah, we're 
So that's not the thing anymore. That's not a thing, but we want you to come up. You know, we'd like to see you gone because you that's the number the you know the number one most important person to network with michigan if if michigan likes you you talk to michigan all the time honestly if michigan wants you you probably should have took the offer at that point in time um because that's a great deal but now he's not in that it all played out the end result is he couldn't even he ended up having to walk on at bc um and the walk-on process is when you walk on you're kind of at the bottom of the totem pole and then how long are you going to sit and wait there to try and see if you get a break going your way in play now he's retired um but it was it's it's not building your network um and that's something that a lot of times athletes don't do what do you think about your network it it all is about networking and the relationship when it comes to recruiting for sure uh it it seems like well, at least from my perspective, uh, and what I was told, the the coaches are going to be the people you spend the most amount of time with during your college career. Like, it's not going to be your girlfriend. It's not going to be your friends. It's going to be the coaches. You know, it's going to be pretty much every day in season. It's going to be a ton in the off season. You're going to see them all the time. You have position meetings with them. You have meetings just as a team, offense, defense, like, they're going to be in your face. So it really does matter a lot, you know, having a good relationship with them. And that starts with them recruiting you. So like you said, you don't have to bug them, but you do want to show that you're interested in them because they want to know that. And, and vice versa, like you, you also don't want to just like lead a school on or whatever like that. And, and kind of just like, be like, oh, yeah, like, I'm going to come up, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and then just not show up or, like, blow them off because that's just kind of, like, telling them to go screw themselves. And then they're going to tell other people, like, they all played together, they all coached together, so it is just one big, vast recruiting network. You kind of got to figure your way around. Right. Um, so networking big, the next one I talked about earlier, get having the relationship with your head coach, I uh, I believe in being flexible, being versatile, which means I know, and we've argued about this on podcasts before, if you go into the football team and you're a running back and they want you to play linebacker, go play linebacker. Uh, it's fine to want to play running back and you'll probably play both, but you never know long term. The biggest problem with this is quarterbacks who can't be anything but a quarterback. Sorry. Um, but. You know, what could happen is you end up for college getting recruited at the position that you didn't want to play in high school. But by saying, I only want to do this and I'm going to do this, you are now going to make it harder for your coach. Therefore, making his job harder is going to make him not be all about you. You know, is he's going to not be all about you. And then that is going to impair your ability to get on the field to make the highlights films to send to the schools to get the offers so uh, uh what i always say do more be better um every coach likes the kid that works super hard and tries to be better than everybody else because they set the tone this guy carries the team uh and he brings everybody up 
These are all things that anybody that's a coach that trains, develops, works with the skills of athletes, understand that you like the energy person. So energy is unlike our podcast. Energy is is something that um, is contagious and that makes your coach happier. And it makes, because when you're a coach, it's hard to bring energy all the time. I mean, I'm fucking tired, but you know, in my sessions, not my podcasts, I bring a whole bunch of energy, sometimes negative, but that's okay. Uh, because bad energy is sometimes better than no energy. I'll still say bad energy. It's not bad energy. I mean, people don't fucking listen to me. Like some people I don't have to yell at at all, but if you don't want to listen, I'm not, I'm going to have a whole bunch of problems with you. Be better. Listen. Um, and if you want to have leverage on your team, be the best person on the field. So if you want to get away with more, um, and if you want the coach to like you or have to like you, just be the best person on the team. And then you're going to get more opportunities. You know, I think it's, it's kind of like you said, you know, you have to work to kind of convince your coaches that, that you're the guy and, and the, they're going to want to step up to bat for their guy. So, and you want them to tell college coaches that, oh man, like, you know, I, I got this guy. And, and the high school coach doesn't want to put himself in a position to where he has to put his name on the line for you. If there's a high probability or whatever chance there is that you're not going to pan out or that you're a degenerate. So if you convince the coaches that you're going to work hard and you're never late, it's an easy thing to sell. And they're going to work harder, I believe, because you're going to make them look good. That's the benefit of you working your ass off and and being really good is if they get you there and you continue to excel, they look better. But nobody wants to put, you know, and I hear this, high school coaches, they tell me their input and it's like, and they say, I don't want to, I don't want my name on that shit. Goes there, shits the bed, bitches and complains, doesn't do anything. Coach is going to be pissed because they're trying, they have, they have to maintain those relationships. If you send, if I'm, you know, a high school football coach and I send, 20 guys to Southern Connecticut State University and 19 out of the 20 are awesome. I have my, me as a coach have increased my leverage and my power to influence people, to get them to give people offers. If you send dead wood and they don't pan out, you can burn relationships and they're less likely to take you serious when you got the next guy. So, but it all starts with you you know, showing yourself off to be able to get them to talk highly of you. For sure. It does. It, it all starts, you know, you gotta have the goods to back it up. And then the easiest way to, to kind of make things easier on yourself is just, uh, like you said, do more, be better. Um, so is there anything else, you know, you want to add? I know there's, uh, is there any like kind of rank orders or anything like that in these networks? Um, well, I mean, just taking it, just looking at one network, there is a coach and intern all time power ranking in NES. Um, the list hasn't been updated for about three years, but I would, I've overall had less coaches, but, um, you know, 
uh, you're you're being compared and i teach this to every intern a new employee that comes in like these were the things that the last guy did right these were the things that the last guy did wrong and um at some point in time you know you're going to come here you're going to get developed and then i'm going to say who is better a or b now what should happen because everyone always gets from 20 years deep into filling everybody in so five years in, you only had or two years in, you only had very few life experiences of what to do and not to do to do a good job. Whereas now you have 20 years of stories, which should mean my interns and new coaches should be better than everyone else because they get a blueprint of what not to do. And if they're all going to be rank and power ranked and you don't make yourself like any of the other ones. And you learn from their mistakes, you'll ultimately be the number one power ranked employee in NES history. Correct? Not the case. The crazy thing about it is the in the out of the top five all-time NES coaches, four out of the five came from the years of 2005 to 2011. So 12 years, it's been 12 years to get somebody at that level. But that's not fair because they could have learned from all those people and been better. But people, this goes back to they don't want to be better. Path of least resistance uh, and and burnout. I was reading something today that talked about it was a performance strength and conditioning network where all a bunch of dudes that sit around and post and talk shit. And one of the guys, which is crazy because the guy looked like he was about 60, he was like, one of the big things that uh, coaches are the most frustrated about is burnout factor. And basically they go into this field and they hit it hard for whatever, two to five years and they get burned out. So this guy was saying it's my fault and I'm contributing to new people in the field because I demand so much and it's so grueling and it's so hard that I am running them out of here. Running them out of the field because it's too, I'm stressing them out too much to try and make them better and good at their job. Well, if you can't stand the heat, you got to get out of the kitchen. I mean, sometimes people just got to be ran. Yeah. But I mean, the reality of it is within your business that you work for, you're evaluated, you're ranked, everybody's ranked. Uh, sorry, that's life. And everybody, I'm evaluated on it. My athletes are about an athlete starts with me and they're evaluating me like, do I like this guy? Uh, do I think this is going to help me? The parents are evaluating me. Oh, this, this, this is a weird hillbilly from Indiana, man. He, I wouldn't probably mess with him. Big guy, beard, not trying to fuck with that guy. They're evaluating me. Oh, my kid's getting better. Oh, that guy might not know what he's talking about. Oh, that guy doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. All evaluations. Come on, people. Come on, athletes, young people get in the game. So that's all I got about that. So now you have to hit me with the q and I'm ready for the Q&A. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it all counts. It all matters. And today's Q&A is brought to you hypothetically. 
best word in the English language, by Major League Baseball. Because the question is, why are there so many more injuries in today's game than there were like 50 years ago in the majors? You know, Judge is just coming back from what can only be described as a turf toe. But injuries are occurring all the time in the majors, it seems. So is that the case or am I just a crazy person? Uh, well, you brought it up and it sounded like it was pretty official. So it is fact that there are more injuries now than there were 50 years ago in MLB. Why? There's a couple reasons um, that I'm going to go over. One, I think technology. Ooh, everybody loves technology. So, I mean, there's the good of technology and reading and research um, because it allows us to make bigger, faster humans that generate more force. We're able to take them through body analysis and figure out mechanically what are the best way to do things to elicit a response and get them to perform, to perform at a higher level. You got PEDs. Um, and those are still going on in many different forms and all of those are going to increase your risk of injury, which we did a podcast on. Um, and, but what we're doing is we're playing the same games for the same duration for the same amount of months a year. We're playing at a higher, more dangerous level. Um, and we, what we do is we have, we have a bunch of genetic freaks that are out here like rockets in football or throwing rockets in baseball. and it's putting more stress on the the joints, tendons, ligaments, therefore increasing the risk of, you know, getting hurt. And then I'm blaming too, why not throw the social media in there? So, you know, between the online programs and the throwing programs, this is baseball. So what you're doing is you have a bunch of people that are taking in information that are not qualified to process them the information and apply it to themselves in a safe manner. So you get guys that are in major league baseball that are taking things and doing random programs, not going to name drop all these various, what I believe is unsafe programs. Cause when people are sitting in their basement, creating all of these things, there's a lot of different things that work that can get somebody to throw a ball harder or to run faster. But they're just taking these clips and the pieces of the performance meatloaf and they're just throwing this shit into what they're doing. Like they're dictating what they're going to do and what piece they're going to take. And what's happening is the, the most dangerous exercises are the ones that are being shown on social media because those are the flashiest and the highest level progression with your, you know, insert your, you know, NFL guy that never made it to the NFL who was super athletic and have him do level 17 plyos. And, you know, you're going to roll that shit out. You start taking that. And what you're doing is you're spending your off season actually increasing your risk of getting hurt. So the big thing is, why are we doing things at a higher level than we were because of technology? But why are we, you know, hurting ourselves more than we've ever did? Same thing, technology. And then, you know, another part of it is the inability for people to change the mindset of how much you should play and how much you should rest and how much total activity that you've been doing, which goes into overtraining and all the things that we talk about there. So, you know, 
and I mean, I want to talk about LeBron James and load management, but if you are producing higher levels of force and you're playing the game at a different level and you're getting hit harder, all of these things require more recovery. The bit, if you're, and I'll you guys run around in the sixties playing football. I mean, honestly, I think I could have played, I could have been an NFL football player. If, if Ned was ripped out of 20, I can't use 2023 because I'm 43, but we'll say when I'm fucking 30 years old, 10 years ago, if Ned got implanted into 1960, a, I would be in the WWF because if anybody has seen me with my shirt off, I'm the classic 1980s WWF big guy. That's really not a compliment for me because the guys in the 80s, they weren't. It's not like they're all cut up and shit. They're just big, large, massive individuals with a generally flat stomach, but not really ripped up because these spec these genetic specimens are performing at a higher level doing other things faster they need more time off and they're not getting that and baseball needs less games and they're not getting that and you know we know that nba is starting with the load management shit and i would you i don't know if that's is did they determine if the, if the load management and playing less games Aren't people getting hurt more? I feel like you use that as ammo against me in a prior podcast. I feel like they might be. Yeah. But I don't have the documents with me on hand to back it up. So with basketball, I don't know if it it is the load management thing also, but also, you don't, you know, there's more big athletic dudes out there, you know, doing things that just increase their risk of, Anthony Davis, dude's always hurt, straight trash. Um, you know, but he's unfortunately he's not durable, so he's meant to play thirty games. Give him, give him like one game a week, and and you have to be able to. If if we're not changing these things, you're just going to see more and more injuries. But the big thing is the because the only thing that matters now is throwing a hundred. They don't care about shit else. So all these dudes that throw a hundred are all doing a lot of the high risk shit where you blow your arm out repeatedly. So it's like throw, 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 get to my D one scholarship, blow my arm out, get that shit repaired, go out there, get, try and get back to a hundred and then get, and then get drafted, go throw a hundred and close your eyes and throw a hundred and then blow your arm out again. Cause you know, as soon as that your arm isn't blown out again, you're going to get pushed all the way up to triple a. And that's your quickest path. So do so what you have is the world doing same thing. Exit velocity. You got to hit 95 miles an hour off hard contact, middle of the zone, exit velocity over fucking 110, launch angle, this and that. So all people are doing is training. And I do this because this is part of what I had to do for Justin who got drafted. It's just all we're doing is training to hit bombs. Now, my training is to prevent a lot of the things that are happening to these guys. Oblique injuries are very common with position players and, and you know, hip flexors with all the force that's being generated and how specialized everything has become. Um, so that, in my opinion, is, is why it's happening. Thoughts? Fantastic stuff. I think that'll probably about do it. Uh, Ned does not have anything else for us today. Ned is done. He has said his piece. It is over. Uh, the NES experience is over. But uh, you guys, the viewers and listeners, are not done. 
like and subscribe to our podcast. We appreciate you guys listening. Maybe even give it a little share. Maybe you'll learn something today. Uh, you know, it's good to go into a podcast having learned something. We're not a podcast that's just going to talk about gross murder stuff and describe, like, you know, terrible things that I have to get exposed to because that's what, what Sam listens to all the time. And now I can't sleep. So, you know, instead you can put us on and, and we'll give you knowledge about strength and conditioning and sports performance training. So tune back in, in two weeks for a new episode of the NES Experience.